I mean, now, since the you know, since, since the 1800s, you can actually hold the safe in your hand. You don't simply have to look at quotations and then we show them to, uh, to learn it. Okay, so let's start at the top. Again, unfortunately, I'll, I'll hand it out to you, but I did not give you sort of the, the missing link here where all of, the, all of this discussion about the book of Eicha is then <coughs> brought into a discussion of Eicha Haitel Because in terms of the position here, if you look at where this is in the Sefer, we first have, um, is it Yirmiyahu Aleph? In other words, the first week um, from Yirmiyahu, the second week also from Yirmiyahu, I believe. And then the third week is from Yishayahu. That's where this is positioned, even though it begins with the discussion of the book of Eicha. So hopefully we'll get to that. I'll hand it out to you. I made a copy of it. Um, let's start at the top. Anyone want to read who hasn't read before? I always ask this question. Yes, no, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Right. Remember, this isn't simply said, but patach. We discussed this actually last week before you were here. This is a way of opening. He starts with the pasuk in a different, um, in a different sefer, and he's going to work back from there into the discussion at hand, which immediately is the book of Eicha, but that becomes Yishayahu Aleph Eicha Haitelazana. So he comes from Hoshea. Usually they start with a Pasuk from Ketuvim, but there's that's not the case here. Okay, so now what's the parish of the Pasuk according to this Medrash? Yeah, how do you think, I mean, it's sort of, it might be obvious to you, but how do you think this exegesis works? Whereas we have an, an ambiguous, undefined Adam. That's referring to Admarisha, meaning it's not simply man in general, that, you know, Hashem has a problem with humans, um, but a specific man, and the quintessential man, especially because his name is Adam, would be Adam Harishon. I think that's just the way, it, you know, the way the exegesis works. Okay, and that being the case, how do we then interpret the Pasuk? So that's what the Medrash goes on to say. Okay, so we then have um, the building blocks towards um, charting kind of the tragedy of existence, if you can call it that. In other words, (coughs) the Adam refers to Adam Arishon, and the process is he brings him into God Eden, he gives him, or I give him, it's God talking, commandments, that's two. Three, he disobeys my commandments. Four, he, I then judge him and decide to divorce him, send him away, five, and, and I you know, mourn, I call on him, Echa. And then it goes through proving each of these elements. So, so far, there's nothing so crazy. Um, I think the, li- the real chidush here is going to be in linking this tragic trajectory. That's a funny sounding thing with what happens with Chorban Abayit. So why don't you read how this works? He'chnatz tiyotol the Gan Eden. Yikach Hashem Elokim et Hadam, 
Okay, so that's the first moment where he actually takes man and places him in Gan Eden. And obviously that's that Sivoy is clear. That's referring to Donit from the Eitzadas. Okay. Right. Anyone, anyone ever, ever um, learn Masechet Gitin or encounter these verbs? Not only in Masechet Gitin, not only in the process of get, but also in Kol Nidre, these verbs are used. Um, either you could approach this by saying that these are two separate processes. In other words, God's gerush of man from from Gan Eden is in some way different from the you know shiluach, the sending away. Or I, I think what's really going on here, the reason why that's sort of like a redundant stage in the um, in the trajectory. I think it's because there's a certain there's a certain resonance of these words. These are two of the verbs. There are many more that are used in a get. And the reason why many verbs are used is not simply to cover all the bases, so to speak, to you know, to say that the woman is divorced in way number A and way number B, but also for emphasis. Right? You use different synonyms, um, and that emphasizes <laughs> it. You have the same verbs and further verbs in um, in parts of the Kol Nidre, you also have, and this is fascinating, in kameot that were written also, you know, early on, not simply, you know, kameot that you buy in the shuk. Right? These are amulets which try to ward away demons. You have the same kind of language of shiluchin and gerushin, again, emphasizing by using different synonyms the need the need to completely, you know, divorce something. So here the Medrash finds two different verbs in two different psukim that define and, um, and emphasize by using two different verbs man's um, expulsion, we would say in English, from Ghanedin. I, 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 I know that you mean divorce, but it seemed to me that in this instance, just chasing away was... Correct, but I think it's... I think that, yeah, but I think the use of those two verbs is deliberate and does oh, recall yeah. those verbs f- yeah, known yeah. from the world of divorce. Okay. Um, and finally, which is right? this is sort of a very famous medrash that appears a few a few times. Um, he, the, the version we're familiar with is usually the beginning of Eicha should be understood as Ayaka, so to speak. In other words, where were you? Here it really is in the reverse. Right, that we're supposed to understand Ayeka, that first, you know, tragic Ayeka, as somehow prefiguring or alluding to the Eicha that appears um, later on. This is, this is heavy stuff, because even before we get to the next part, we're essentially saying, the Medrash is saying that tragedy is like built in. I'm not saying that Adam had to do it. But it's built in, it's established, it's on the ground from the very beginning. Um, especially by linking, you know, by the very end, which is sort of the punchline, even of this first half. The fact that the Eicha, you know, is uses the same letters, Ayeka, I'm sorry, when God calls to Adam, Ayeka uses the same letters as Eicha. So there's already a linkage there between that tra- tragedy with Adam, you know, that trajectory, and with 
um, us, B'nai Israel, later. Yes. I don't think it's cause and effect. And therefore what? In other words, you have to ask that question, let's say, when you encounter Masevot Siman Labanim. Okay, so, you know, the rabbi can show very interesting things by, parala- par- you know, making one, you know, earlier avs Masim parallel to other. And therefore what? I, I don't know what the Medrash is trying I, I to do here. I don't think it's cause and effect. But I, okay, let's yeah. see the second half. Um, but there's a clear message here. It's not simply showing cool parallels in Tanakh. I sort of have a vendetta because I've gone to many shirim where you know the goal is simply to show isn't this isn't this cool? You know, Megill and Esther are parallels things that happen with Yosef. Why is that? In other words, what is you know what is the Megillah trying to teach us by paralleling those two things? Um, so let's see, let's see, let's see what the Bedrash does with that immediately. So then it goes. Um, it, it continues. When you continue. Okay, so look at what this does. And this is fascinating. I mean, what does this element of the parallel do? It doesn't simply say what happens earlier with other region happens later. But our entrance into Eretz Yisrael, and this you can find in many of the Midrashim, is defined as a return to Eden. It's really an amazing thing. Or it's paralleled, you know, being placed in Eden. When Hashem puts Adam Rishon in Gan Eden, that was a new beginning, so to speak. I'm not saying, you know, it's 100%. That was a new beginning. And when we were placed, you know, brought in from Eretz Yisrael, in, from um, Eretz Mitzrayim, into Eretz Yisrael, that's parallel there, yes. That's nice. Thank you. That's that's very nice. Good. Okay, let's continue. Now, did anyone look up this pasuk? I think the editor of this medrash is just he missed the boat. Um, there are a few places. Uh, did you look it up where the other tzavs are? Right. Well, that's that's what the that's not what the medrash means. That's what the guy who put in Vayikra Chav Dalit bet bet. Uh, I I I don't know. I not no pasuk like totally fit. Anyone have any suggestions which pasuk might? Be? That, like, in other words, Vayikra Chaf Dalid Bet was put in by I think his name is Baruch Mandelbaum, whoever edited this edition. When you when you look in like a old manuscript, when these midrashim were written, they don't tell you where it is. They expect you to know your Tanakh well. Now it says Tzavet Bnei Yisrael a few t- a number of times. I think like five times in Tanakh. Um, my hunch is uh, the one the one in Bamidbar Lamadalad Pasuk Bet. Maybe you disagree. Savit Ben Yisrael Ramat Alehem Kiatem Baim El Aretz El Eretz Kanan Zot Aretz Asher Taf. You know, Tipol Lachem Benachala Eretz Kanan LeGvuloteha. It then defines the Gvulot. I don't think it's a perfect fit. I um, mean, it could be the Medrash is just trying to say there's a general Tzivoy, there's a general Sav. Uh, I really don't think it's Shemin Ketit Lema'or. I just, that's the first time it appears, and that may be why he put it there. Here, at least in this tzav, there is a 
this tzav is related to the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael. So it's very much linked to coming into Eretz Yisrael, and these are the boundaries. Yes, Sharon. Is there an opinion that the uh, Eitzadot Yes, there is. Interesting. Okay. I still am not. I still am not happy with that stuff. And maybe the measures is trying to say general. You know, Kadosh Baruch Hu commanded us to do many things. And since the verb it's using is tzav, right? And that's based on the verb in Breshit, so it's going to use it tzavat ben Israel. But it's not supposed to be as precise. I don't know. Okay. Um, okay. Then vedant vedantiotan begirushin vedantiotan meshiluchin. I'm sorry, where is that? Yeah. Right. Vavral Tsivoyai. Okay. Right. Which brings us back, in a way, to Hoshea. It's not the same portion, but obviously, Hoshea is going to be using that language of divorce because the whole mashal of, of the book, you know, the whole reason why he's marrying this Zona is basically to do, you know, to at least try to divorce this woman just as B'nai Israel wants to divorce but can't um, B'nai Israel. And finally, Vedanti Yotam B'Shiluchin. Okay. Right. Right. And there, you don't have to play any games with Vakunati Yalayim Eicha. It doesn't have to do a yaka because this is ultimately the punchline. In other words, even from the very beginning, from Rabbi Yavahu's Peticha, right, he starts with a Pasuk in Hoshea, which clearly is not talking about, according to Pshat, and the Medrash is cognizant of this, is not talking about the first, you know, the first sin without the Marishon, but is talking about, you know, sins during Bait Rishon, which, you know, Bigida, or Averat Brit, in Bait Rishon, but that, even at that moment, the Adam is not defined as some kind of, you know, humanity in general, but specifically Adam Arishon. So now let me ask you again. We, you know, we raised this initially. So what? So we have really, you know, again, this tragic parallel between Adam's sin, um, Adam dropping the ball, and us dropping the ball later in history during, you know, during a time preceding Korban. I think you have this special idea that going into Eretz Yisrael, especially emphasized with the Pasuk, is supposed to represent, um, you know, starting again, starting in Gan Eden, which again is messed up. Um, and therefore what? In other words, what, what's the matter is trying to get at here? Taba. I think I mean, when I read the story of, of Adam and Gan Eden, it seems like it's, you have to wonder, like, there are so many trees and you have this one tree going and you couldn't follow it. It makes it kind of, it's almost... There's much more blame placed in that story because mm-hmm. it's only that one thing. Mm-hmm. It's trying to give that message that that they should come and say, well, there was it was too much, we had too many restrictions. It's really, it was like Adam. There's Interesting. I was actually wondering that when I was trying to just think about what the Nikud were. Is it Avaral Tsivoyi or Tsivuyai? So with Adam Rishon, it would have to be Tsivoyi because it's my one commandment. To be fair to us, and and yeah. in a sense, the following Midrashim are going to be quite critical of the Kaddish Baruch Hu, Kaviyachal, if one could say mm-hmm. such a thing. But really, I mean, there's like, that's part of the shocking thing that it's referring to. It wasn't just one commandment. As much as, you know, the Midrash is making a parallel, the parallel doesn't work in that sense. Adam dropped the ball on one thing, and we had all of these mitzvot. 
So I, I understand what you're saying. The message is saying, nevertheless, you know, looking back, if we had just listened to everything we had to do, um, we would have been fine. Yes. It is a little bit clearer what Adam Tim was in the sense of like, like, um, he, like he and Kava both decided what was what was told and not for the, for them, mm-hmm. right? And like for us, even though it may have played out differently in terms of reality, because we have obviously um, a much more intricate and greater set of mitzvot, let's say, than they did. The whole though, like the the motivation behind the sin is still the same because it's like the desire of, let's say, the ego to, like, prove that you can make your own value system and, like, you can develop it and do whatever whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So I still, I'm not going to say it's a complete masa avot simon labanim, but I do hear those echoes here, you know, the af banav. I'm not saying it's cause and effect, but even with masa avot simon labanim, in Bereshit, according to the Rishonim, there is the sense that those avot are sort of laying down the way things are going to happen. Now, theologically, I don't think that has to be problematic because you're not locked in. I think the sort of the Musra message from that, that the Medrash might, if that's the case, if that's the proper reading, that there is a Masa Vot Simon Labanim here, that by Adam messing it up, he wasn't simply affecting himself, but obviously was affecting humanity, you know, for all time, um, is that even us, in other words, why, why is Adam affecting humanity more than future humanity more than we are. In a sense, he's not. I mean, we have our own line, and Adam was the line of everybody. But by him messing up, that makes that caused Afbanav to happen because he changed the rules of the game. You know, we were going to live in Gan Eden. We we're going to live, you know, beautifully, and he messed up. At the same time, the blame is placed firmly on us because, as I said, the magic is clear. The parallel of being placed in Gan Eden is being put in Eretz Yisrael. So when we're put in Eretz Yisrael, it's almost like fresh slate, you can start anew, and we drop the ball. So I, th- I see both elements there. There's an Afbanav where other Marishon's initial sins in some way affect you know, the tragic conclusion of us getting kicked out of Eretz Yisrael. On the other hand, we are placed in the same place that other Marishon was placed when we go into Eretz Yisrael, and we again drop the ball. Um, there's a lot to talk about, so we're going to have to go to the next. Yes? Can't Adam, isn't Adam maybe just a prototype for a human condition and not necessarily, this is the way humans are, as opposed to Abraham paralleling, setting up you know, future occurrences? Well, it would have to be broader because it is Adam. But you're saying it's slightly different than, you know, your typical Simana, Masa, Yeah, Simana, yeah this, that's this fair. Is what humanity is. Correct. Correct. And I think that's tragic. I don't know. Okay, let's skip to Gimel um, and continue with that. Okay, so I don't, we're not actually going to read all of this because some of it's repetitive and you're able to get the idea very quickly. Okay, so Hashem himself in this, in this Pasuk is calling for different kinds of mourning. Right? That's, that's the way Yishayahu depicts him without any kind of Midrashic reading. Now, something incredible happens when the Medrash really thinks about it and sort of takes this to its next conclusion. So God wants to know, so to speak, obviously he already knows, but he engages the Malachi Sharet in a conversation. And he wants to know, what does a king in mourning do? 
And then they tell him different things. Amrulo tolosakal al patacho, pitcho. That he puts sackcloth outside of his patach, and it has a pasuk that, you know, that supports that. In Yeshayahu, what else does he do? Um, so the angels tell God that he that he turns out the light, he, you know, closes the lamps. And indeed, there were these signs where Shemaim is becoming dark. I think that's because of the locust. I'm not sure with Yoel. Um, the, the locust make it dark. I'm not sure if it was an eclipse. I don't remember. I should have looked it up again. We have again, you know, God asking, what else does the king do? He goes barefoot. There, you need actually the last two words of the Pasuk. And I'm, here I'm at the top of page 251, right? Va'avak raglav. Um, actually, if you look at the bottom, you can see one of the... This thing at the bottom is called an apparatus. It gives you different manuscripts, and it gives the end of the Pasuk, Va'avak raglav, and one of the manuscript. manuscripts. He keeps on asking, what else? What else does a king do? He's silent. Um... He turns over his bed, which was the sign of mourning. Um, and finally, he he tears his purple, his you know his royal robes, and he'll also do that. Um, and finally, I'll just we're telescoping to the end. What does the king in mourning do? So I too will do this, and therefore a chayash vabedad. So there's a few very fascinating things going on here. Um, just again talking about the end there. Echa is read um, as really directly God's voice, right? So it, right, we know Echa, the tradition is, is written by Yirmiyahu. But when a Navi writes something, what does that mean? So this is a big, long, you know, philosophical, theological question, but he's conveying God's message. So as much as, you know, in one sense, you could look at the book of Eich and see Yermiahu looking out at the city or thinking about the city and himself um, commenting, you know, Eicha Yashvabedad, those words are sort of placed, associated with the Kaddish Baruch We'll see this even more in Dalid. Um, but that's, that's one element here. The other element here is this very extremely um, almost satirical anthropomorphic description of God that is describing God in very human terms, which is nothing new for the Medrash. It's not unique here. But again, you have this conversation where God isn't simply acting like a person, you know, what is it, you know, like a conversation, what do the kings do? But he wants to. He wants to be like a person, right? What do you think, you know, why is this happening here? I think this is, again, anthropomorphism happens in Medrash where God is described in human terms. I mean, it happens in Tanakh also. But it's, it, it's, it happens a lot in Medrash. But here I think it's sort of taken up a notch in the sense that God is trying. He's depicted as trying to act like a human. What does a human king do? I'm the godly king, so I'm going to, to um, you know, structure my actions according to human king actions. Why, why is this happening here? Any ideas? Yes. So I mean, like, I was just thinking why why God would want to why God would want to imitate a king's mourning. Good. Um, because it is a weird thing, and like I was thinking maybe because like um, if if this was for anybody, it would be for Benet. Like Benet can only relate to human terms and the human condition, not God's condition. So 
So if God would show like Simon Ayaz there would be peril to Good. I think that's part of what's going on here. Maybe just looking at it from a slightly different perspective. When you, you know, when you have a tragedy, when you have something terrible happen, so there are kind of two, obviously there are more than two approaches, but if you want to be binary about it, either God turns his face and he's not around, or God is more around than he ever was before. I think part of specifically, and it's not just in this Medish word that extreme anthropomorphism happens, but it's in Midrashim that describe God during the Chorban, God's tears. Um, I think there's another passage that I didn't assign here that describes other, other senses of God acting very much like man, specifically at a time of Chorban. It's important for God to sort of portray himself in these terms, because we, you know, we need God there with us. Again, kaviyachal. I'll just put a big kaviyachal at the beginning when you're talking about these anthropomorphisms. But you need God like as physically as possible with you at a time of time of mourning. And I think the Medrash is reflecting that. In other words, at the time of mourning, that's when God says, "How does a king mourn?" I don't know if the Medrash would do the same thing when God wants to be happy. He says, Melech basavedam sameach, mahu oseh. That's not what happens. It's specifically when it's a time of tragedy, a time of mourning, where God needs to show us in some way that he's, you know, coming closer to mankind despite the tragedy that he unleashes and he causes for his own, you know, reasons because of our sins, etc., etc. Yes? But why the question? I mean, I can understand what you're saying and when a couple divorces, the altar weeps. But in this case, God is seems to be asking for instruction. Or Correct, God, because I think he's trying to show uh, he's trying to show he's making an effort. It's not, it's not an automatic thing. God is trying as much as possible to approximate what happens in the world, what mankind does. Yes? I think that's really showing like, the Mm-hmm. He doesn't even know what to do. That's very nice. Yeah, that's very nice. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, but I don't think you have to link that all together. This is just a different, you know, approach. I, I, I wouldn't think that that's a real question. Okay, Dalit. Um, anyone want to read this? I just ra- ran through that quickly. From this side of the room. We never have any readers from this side of the room. <laughs> Two fifth, yeah, Komar Hashem. Okay, so what does that mean? Right. Okay, but what's the mashal? So 
What is tarboot? Don't say culture. No. What? Nature. What do you mean by nature? His personal nature. Sort of, like, kind of like upbringing in a way. Um, we'll see how this applies to God, but generally, um, tarboot refers to, I guess it's sort of like culture, you know, if someone is properly cultured, not simply does he go to the opera, but if he's of, hmm? Civilized. But not simply. But in other words, my the way it generally appears is in terms of behavior of students and children. And tarboot ra means that you know the the behavior is is lacking. Um, okay, so let but before we just get to that, let's finish this um, section. Kach galu. Omer lehemet and then the next one is oi, yeah. <laughs> right, and that's in Hosea, and that's a description of the Sarashvatim. And then, Kevin Shagalu. On my. Oh, uh, no, no, but which? I don't, yeah, in other words, on this breaking that occurs then. What, what's what's happening here? And this, I think, is pretty radical, unless you disagree with what it means. So you said you weren't sure exactly what this means. What does this mean? Anyone else have, a, have an idea? Yes. I think in the, in the first instance, the blame is on the person that committed the, the misdemeanor, the son. The second time, you sort of say, well, if it's, a, if it's in my whole house, maybe I am at somehow responsible yeah. or involved. Or it's hard to say, but it, that, that's what the measure seems to be saying. That, you know, once, once Binyamin and Yehuda are also, you know, need to be exiled, God realizes something here is wrong, not simply with them, but the way things, the way I've done things. I, I know it's extremely radical, but as they say in Yiddish, it's a state. Yes? So what would be the, the literal meaning of Anna who just said what they just said? Anna. Uh, Anna's I. I would have been, yeah, it is my who's, okay. it sounds like upbringing, but I don't think it refers to God's own upbringing, but the upbringing that he, the way he raises his sons. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so that's Rabbi Yochanan's approach. And again, you know, it's radical, but also it sort of points to a confidence in Bnei Yisrael that is inspiring in a way. In other words, it can't be, you know, if, if we keep on getting clapped, so, you know, we can't be that bad, which is really, again, the almost the opposite approach um, that you find elsewhere when, you know, we say it's because of our sins and, and that's it. 
there's something you know pretty unbelievable. Now there's a different take on the progression from the Galut of the Sarshvatim onto Yehuda and Binyamin. Um, and that's in Rish Lakish. But before we get to that, and we don't really have any time, um, before we get to that, that approach which Rabbi Yochanan identifies and that way of looking at the history is almost like a natural response from reading Tanakh. In other words, you read about the Sarshvatim and you, you go through Nevi'im and it's fairly clear that um, there's a real problem. They're exiled. And then there's a long period of time before Yehudin and Binyamin are exiled. So, you know, what's sort of the natural reaction you would have to reading that text is that Yehudin and Binyamin are not as bad. When they finally are exiled, it makes you wonder. And I think that's what Rabbi Yochanan's responding to. Um, I don't know what he wants to do with it exactly. But that's that's certainly I think what he's responding to. Rish Lakish again has a different different take on the kind of the delayed uh, reaction, the time release, as it were, of um, of Galut. So Rish Lakish Amar. In other words, I the whole notion of professional mourners, right? There used to be this this profession called professional mourners. They had it in the time of Tanakh. They even had it in the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara, where it's sort of put in an interesting light that the mourner himself or herself can't even mourn and needs to hire someone else to do you know to do the task. That's a sign of almost God becoming kaviachal jaded. In other words, he can't cry anymore. He can't uh, mourn anymore. Um, and that that's what happens there. And then he brings it home. That time, But once Shevet Yehuda ben Yamin are, are exiled, and that's why the Pasuk in Yirmiyahu says, call the mourners. Um, again, also a certain, another kind of anthropomorphism here where God is really seen in, in, in human human terms that just as a human can, you know, if tragedy doesn't just strike once but strikes again, that they're just, they're incapable of feeling almost. It's, um, you know, as it were, these psukim are read to reflect the same phenomenon with God. Finally, and I think this is, this kind of puts, you know, the icing on the cake, is the third opinion, um, of what to do with these psukim, and really it emphasizes the, their grammatical form, right? So this, if you just want to read one of these, um, now I just want to read the pasuk quickly, so they don't, you know, pull the wool over your eyes. The first pasuk that we started with is this is Yirmiyahu Ted Zion. I'm sorry. Right? That is God's word. We don't have to say that it's simply Yirmiyahu talking, but obviously whenever Navi talks, he's 
He's relaying God's message. That is a citation, a quotation of God. The next Pasuk, which is Pasuk Yud Zion, says, That Pasuk and the next Pasuk as well. Who al me, so to speak. Um, I think the Pshat, I'm not sure, but I think the Pshat is now the Navi. But he's saying that we have to quickly go and get these people, you know, we have to go mourn, we will mourn, we will mourn. The Medrash is telling us to read this, obviously it's in the plural, you know, the first person plural, we, but to read this first plural, first person plural um, as connected to the previous Pasuk. God himself is joining in in the morning, which again is an idea that I'm sure we hear all, hear all the time, especially if we learned Chosidus, but if you sort of think about, you know, what that means, that God is actually mourning um, with us. It really, it's an incredibly powerful idea. And, and, and the Medrash continues to do the same thing on um, the next few psukim, finally climaxing in. And here we do have a new way of reading Eicha. E- e- this is the last line of section Dalid. Um, um, actually, just before that, this is the opinion of the Rabbanan. This is not a king with two sons, but twelve sons. Um, two die. He's sad, but at least he comforts himself with ten. Those then two die. He comes himself with eight, six, four. He, in other words, God Himself um, mourns with them. So not only do you have this idea, this theological idea, that God himself is mourning in Harban, which is which the Medrash does by linking Pasuk Dead Zion, which is Komar Hashem, to the next Pesukim, which is us, we are mourning, we are mourning. But this Medrash, as we saw a little before, basically suggests a new strategy for reading the book of Eicha. Don't, I, I said this before, but don't don't see Eicha merely as Yirmiyahu's you know, tragic reflections on the abandoned city of Jerusalem, but because Yirmiyahu is a Navi, he's relaying, he's just a mouthpiece in this case. Echayash Rabadad is God himself partaking in this. You know, God is part of this process of mourning, and it's God's Echa, um, and not, you know, not really Yirmiyahu's. So we'll have to stop here, and maybe uh, next time we'll just finish off with the Nechama that sort of comes at the end, um, but not really... We don't have the ultimate Nechama yet.